This time, we're taking a look at The Matrix Reloaded, and along the way, we ask, what's up with those freak twins? How did MTV ruin this movie? And is it possible for a computer program to exist in the real world? Get out your dictionaries, assiduously, ergo, vis-a-vis, concordantly. This is force-fed sci-fi. Hello, gang, and welcome back to a very fun and exciting episode of the Force-Fed Sci-Fi Podcast. That lovely voice you heard in the intro of us episode was our friend and producer, Jeremy Kesky. And joining me today is my friend and co-host, Sean Culp. Say hello, Sean. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) And I am Chris Rupp, and we are kicking off our... Resumation, I guess, into the Matrix trilogy. Resumation? What is that? I've never what. Like I said, get out your dictionary. Yeah. Let's call. Uh, this is our big word podcast. <laughs> Sean and I teased us a while back, where we're just defining all sorts of big words. <laughs> this week in Force Fed Sci-Fi, learn vocabulary words. Learn what concordantly is and vestidiously. <laughs> Uh, we're diving back into the Matrix films. We're looking at the Matrix Reloaded. We did uh, yeah. the first film way back in the early days of the podcast. Now, again, not two years ago. Yeah, I would say, yeah, about two years ago. This did the, you know, we saw the new Matrix film coming out and we decided to dive in. This is, yeah, I can't believe it's been about two years ago on the dots. <laughs> I can't believe there's a fourth Matrix film coming out. <laughs> <laughs> Most of us feel the same. They they got to jump on the the Keanu Reeves train right now. Well, he still looks young. I yeah he he and Paul Rudd. I don't know how many virgins they're sacrificing to the volcano or what sort of blood treatment they're getting. But cocoa like, butter. Yeah. They're swimming in cocoa butter every day. Oh uh, yeah, they whoever sells them cocoa butter just be like, oh god, we got another Keanu Reeves order. Just bathes himself in it. Uh, yeah, yeah, folks. If you want to stay young, cocoa butter. Yeah, I would suppose the occasional version volcano sacrifice <laughs> helps too. Right. Uh, but we're here for Reloaded, which uh, it's pretty exciting because I, I don't think I've ever seen this film until now. I haven't seen this in a long time. I remember, I remember even as a kid, because I was 12 when this came out, that there was a load of hype leading up to these films because they were, they were the the big deal was made. They're both coming out in 2003, six months apart from each other. And the hype train was real leading up to this. The hype train. So much hype, so much product placement and the marketing was insane. And that's something we're going to talk about pretty soon here. Um, So the matrix reloaded set six months after the events of the first film. Neo has now fully embraced his powers as the one, but the captains and the leaders of Zion they get they receive intel that the machines are amassing an army and they're going to send it to Zion to destroy everyone and everything. And now everyone realizes they have set less than 72 hours to end the war and avoid total destruction. Talk about a turnaround time. <laughs> <laughs> Two films set across three days now totaling about four and a half hours. So we have four and a half hours to watch through. And the stakes are high. Everybody is going to die. (laughs) (laughs) 
What will they do, Chris? <laughs> what will they do? I have no idea. We'll tell you folks what they do. <laughs> so, uh, who's in this? We have the Wachowskis. They're back. They directed this film. Yeah, at the time they were known as the Wachowski brothers. Now they have since transitioned. They're known as Lana and Lily Wachowski. They wrote and directed this similar to the work they did on the first film. So they're back in full force. Had a ton of money thrown their way. <laughs> $300 million for two pictures. That's I, I saw the budget for this one specifically was between 127 and $150 million. That's nuts. Just for this movie. And in 03. Because that's like big money. Like now, that's a Marvel film. But back then, that's insane. Yeah, like nowadays, that's like your basic romantic <laughs> comedy. Like the the West Side Story remake was made for a hundred with a hundred million dollars. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh God. Lots of money here. Uh, and for the most part, the same cast all returns. A lot of additions. Very big cast. Keanu Reeves is back as Neo. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne as Morpheus. Carrie Ann Moss as Trinity. And it can't be understated that after the first film came out, like these the stars of these actors just blossomed and blew up. Keanu Reeves was already a really big movie star when he did the first film. Mm-hmm. Lawrence Fishburne, everybody knew him as a great actor. Oh yeah. And but Carrie Ann Moss just sort of came out of nowhere and became a huge star after this movie. Did she? Cuz I have no idea what I she, think she did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't think I've ever seen any of her films or maybe I just don't remember, but I'll take your word for it, Chris. Uh, also, Hugo Weaving back as Smith. I guess no longer Agent Smith because he's not exactly an agent anymore, right? He was he's unplugged, <laughs> untethered from the Matrix, and has that weird symbolic gift of his headset <laughs> to Neo. And his glasses changed too, and his suit. Oh, he's I didn't no longer that. have the. He doesn't have the greenish tinted suit anymore. It's more of a dark. It's like almost blue tinted, and his glasses are uh, more, I believe, more rounded. So he's. He's not box life. He's no longer the, uh, you know, process man that he used to be. That's a nice touch. I n- actually never noticed that. <laughs> you know, the things you see, I guess. We also have Jada Pinkett Smith, who now, uh, you know, she's a little bit more known for other reasons. Her and Will Smith. Yeah, her and her husband. <laughs> yeah, her and her husband's overshares. Yeah, at the red table that no one has for. Stop oversharing <laughs> details of your personal life every three months, please. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. And then uh, Gloria Foster returns yeah, as the, the Oracle. Yeah, she's back. Um, also got some additions. We got uh, Harold Perrineau as Link, the operator of the Nebuchadnezzar. Got Randall Duck Kim as the Keymaker. And uh, big international cast as well. Monica Bellucci as Persephone. Uh, Lambert Wilson as the Merovingian, which I actually read that he had to play up his French accent like 100% because he speaks English very fluently. He's oh, British. Yeah. And they're like, oh, you can speak French? Can you do a French accent the whole time? I knew it sounded like way too, way, way, like it was not. Yeah, more like Pepe Le Pou. As yeah. opposed <laughs> to Jean Valjean. All they needed was a cigarette in his hands. It just would have been like, no, too much. <laughs> uh, we got Helmut Bacatus as the architect. Nathaniel Lees as Mafuni. 
And then playing the, the freaky ass twins are Neil and Adrian Raymond, who I have not seen them in anything else. I mean, they're they're non linkers on Wikipedia. So I, I think this is their only film. I mean, and there, there's not a lot of roles for twins out there unless it's unless uh, they decide to do a reboot of the Harry Potter trilogy. Like there aren't a lot of roles for twins out there. No. And you don't want to cast one as opposed to the other because then, you know, they'll just cause trife between them. Oh, yeah. oh why do you get cast? So I, I understand. We also have uh, Anthony Zerb, his counselor Hammond, which I don't know if you know who that man is. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I know he was in a, a Star Trek: The Next Generation movie. He was oh. a, he was a Starfleet admiral that got uh, murdered by F. Murray Abraham, I think. <laughs> so who knows? The late nineties to early two thousands were big for him. We also have Roy Jones Jr. as Captain Ballard. Yeah, Roy Jones Jr. the boxer. The boxer? Roy Jones Jr. Very talented, awesome boxer. His fights are fun to watch. And then one of my favorites, Harry Lennox is Commander Locke. So I love Harry from uh, Blacklist. I will never stop talking about Blacklist. He is so good. Yeah, throughout this movie, I'm like, oh, Harold Cooper. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Me too. The whole time I saw him, I'm like, yes. I was like, oh, too bad. He could use uh, he could use uh, his help. Uh, What's oh my gosh! Now it's evading me. Yes, Reddington's help. (laughs) (laughs) I like Harry Lennox because he does not—he's not picky about what he does. He does a lot of television. He does a lot of movies. He's talented. He's fantastic, and he plays such a hard ass in this movie. (laughs) That is always his role. He's just—he plays that perfect like commander type so well. Maybe it's the voice. He just sounds so commanding. Yeah. And then we also to finish it up. I don't know if uh, you know these people, (laughs) but Cornell West who actually apparently is like a professor, like a college like professor about like Marxism, so- <laughs> socialism, a lot of different things that he talks about. And he's like the grandson of a Baptist minister. Oh, my God. And a public intellectual. So why is this man in here? I don't know. But he's like super educated and decided to do movies in like the 2000s. So that's kind of a little Cornell West, folks. People make a lot of fun career choices. I right. mean, if, I mean, if Hollywood doesn't exactly work out for them. Well, it's like in uh, Alien Three. Sorry, a little tangent, but that one dude that uh, he was like a boxer, a teacher, and then decided to become an actor. That's like okay, this, that's so cool. You don't always have to be trained, you know. Yeah, Liam Nar- uh, Neeson started off his career as a teacher and then got into acting. Um, and it's funny, like how people pivot. Like, because I think there's one of Mifuni's, um compatriots that like basically detain morpheus uh lee wanell he's now a, a, a director he directed the invisible man that came out uh in 2020 oh right on he's a great director does a lot of fun uh work in the horror genre um but i was also surprised to hear that there were some other casting choices that they had um the pop singer Aaliyah was originally cast to play yeah. link's wife z and she had filmed her scenes but unfortunately she died tragically in a plane crash and her scenes had to be reshot oh that sucks yeah i mean but it, i mean it worked out because um the the actress they cast to uh replay her role i mean she's the daughter she was the daughter of marvin gay the the, oh. the r&b singer that's crazy so they went from one like model and singer to another singer yeah i mean i i, I don't i have no frame of reference for Aliyah's acting abilities but it's just it's just a, a tragic note i guess uh also jet lee was offered the role of seraph and he passed on it for the weirdest reason 
What did he pass on it for? He didn't want his martial arts moves to be recorded. Wait, like on camera? Yeah, he did not want them digitally <laughs> recorded. He didn't want them on camera. I didn't. I don't know why, because those fights are choreographed, so they're not his moves anyway, right? Maybe he just wanted to like have that creative control. I, uh, that's weird. I don't know. Bruce Lee didn't discriminate about his moves being on camera, because Bruce Lee probably could murder anybody who tried to pick a fight with him. <laughs> Jackie Chan's like, screw that, man. I'll take the money. <laughs> like $15 million to be in this movie. You can record any moves you want. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder. Yeah, he probably feels bad about not being in it. Oh, well. Pass that. As many, that just is another one in the uh, books for yeah. passing on famous movie roles. And fun note about Jada Pinkett Smith. You know, Will Smith was originally offered the role oh of my Neo. God. So I feel like there's a bit of um, redemption going on here in the Smith family. It's like, no, Will, you pass on it and look at all the money it made. I'm taking this movie. <laughs> it's probably it. He's like, take it, take it, please, the money. <laughs> and supposedly she is returning for the, the fourth one. I saw that too. and it's Obviously, we haven't seen the new movie yet, so it remains to be seen just exactly how these legacy characters are going to return. But... I just hope that it's the gymnastics of it aren't too confusing. <laughs> All right, so let's get into some of the pre-production development notes. So obviously, after the first film came out, it made over $400 million. Warner Brothers wanted a sequel right away. Not only one, but they wanted two. And as we mentioned, sizable, massive budget committed to just these two movies. Yeah, that's a lot of pressure. Well, I think that's what we talked a little bit before. It's like when you have no pressure to make a film, you know, 60 million, it's like I can do whatever. But with these, it's like 150. You have to have two sequels out. This is the timeline. Maybe it's a little bit more rushed. You know, that might not always make uh, the perfect recipe for a good film. And well, it doesn't help either that both Reloaded and Revolutions were filmed concurrently with each other. Oh, yeah. so they did a Lord of the Rings move. They did it. The shooting schedule lasted nearly 18 months. Holy crap. That is that's a, insane. That's a long ass time. Yeah. 18 months? Yeah. On location? <laughs> that's, well, you know, that's, I guess, you know, you're signing up. Well, you, and you, you have to work on these, so many aspects of this film, yeah. these films together. Like, um, and it was so, like, I love reading about things like this, like exactly what they had to do to construct. Um, the sets and that freeway chase especially they had to build a mile and a half long freeway it, it was a, it's a it's a decommissioned uh, air base in alameda california they built that freeway and it looks amazing it like does. i <laughs> i thought for sure they like shut down some freeway yeah. in ohio or some disused part of the road in arizona or something but I, it looked incredible it looked real like they were actually on a real like freeway. I, I didn't know that. That is so cool. Oh, I'm seeing. Okay, so they uh, and I guess with the set, once it was done, ninety-seven percent of the materials from the set was actually recycled after they finished shooting, and like they sent like wood and stuff to Mexico for low-income housing. Yeah, it was really cool. Well, it's also a write-off for the studio as a way to like oh. recoup the budget. So. <laughs> 
Yeah, it looks good on paper, but then you have to understand like there's accounting and a lot of tax write-offs like built into those things for those purpose. Or otherwise, like those sets get repurposed for like television shows or for other movies. So like it's just a way for them to just not have it be this black hole in their budget. Here I am thinking the Wachowskis are so altruistic and nope a tax write-off. But I also saw that GM donated three hundred cars for that freeway sequence. Oh, that is cool. And they were all destroyed. <laughs> That's funny. And I didn't even... Well, actually, I did notice the Cadillac logo. So I was going to say, well, I guess marketing, right? Yeah, it's product placement. And, <laughs> and I do want to touch on the, the visual effects a little bit. Cause sure. I, there's a big difference between the visual effects we saw in the first movie and here. And I think a lot of that has to do with what the Wachowskis had in mind. Because the bullet time sequences in the first film, amazing. Oh, yeah. But they take so long to plan, and they're so intricate. Because if you look at the behind-the-scenes photos, it's not just one camera they have set up. They have, like, I think it's something like 80, 90 cameras that all are in this circle, carefully, carefully choreographed, all taking pictures and filming at the same time. And then the visual effects are added later. It's The, the bullet time sequences still hold up today. Oh, yeah. As opposed to these uh, visual effects. <laughs> that we're about to talk about, like the hundred Smiths. <laughs> it's certainly ambitious, and it's definitely that a, is a good word to say. Yeah, it's. I think it's a. This movie is certainly a pioneer of the type of visual effects that we see now, in terms of capturing facial expressions and motion capture and building, you know, virtual sets and creating a virtual camera in world. So a lot of things that we see now and have become standard in all b sorts of blockbusters, this movie really kind of pioneered because the Lord of the Rings films were coming out at the same time. Yeah. But we never saw anything like that in those movies. No, it was always... I feel like effects back then, it was always more of side pieces or like a car getting blown up or little like digital guys running and getting smattered. But this is like you have Hunter Smiths, Neo, and they're doing this intricate fight scene where you have to show facial expressions, like you said. So it's it's very focused. It's not throwaway characters. And I think that's why some people do poo-poo it because everything has its infancy, right? But this one, it's, it's the first time that we see it. And nowadays, you can see it in Marvel films. So you really can see over the course of like 16 years how much it's improved. There isn't a Marvel film or major blockbuster now that doesn't do something like what Re oh, yeah. Reloaded and Revolutions did. It was the birth <laughs> of this type of stuff which like me watching i was like oh god <laughs> but it was still cool you know they worked long hours so credit to the visual effects artists yeah obviously nowadays these effects look very dated but i think that's also a testament to how smart audiences are to be able to pick out cgi and determine what's bad and what's good cgi I mean, still compared to Alien 3, it's, uh, I think, light years ahead than that copy-pasted Alien. Uh, and I will always say the best CGI that's ever been created is the effects in Jurassic Park. I knew you were going to say that, and I totally agree. <laughs> it just, you know, for the time it was. And if you guys want to hear more about that, check out our review of Jurassic Park. It's a fantastic episode. <laughs> I'm getting a look from Jeremy. Thank you. No, no, no look. No look. <laughs> I the the one comment I was gonna say is I I am not as forgiving I don't think of the uh, gra the computer graphics that they they had um, I I 
even I think when I first saw it, I was like, this this kind of looks weird. Like, and then uh, and we were even talking about it earlier. Like, it really looks like a video game. Like when he's fighting those hundreds of Smiths. So I don't know. I guess I, you guys can be forgiving. I don't know if I'm as forgiving on that part. I'm respectful to them for their hard work, but it does look like crap. <laughs> yeah, but not as bad as Alien Three. Like Alien Three is garbage, but this is, you know, the I respect them for the you know strives. Great ambition, poor execution. Yes, <laughs> there we go. So let's get into Matrix Reloaded. You mean finally after twenty? 20- <laughs> After 20 minutes, we're finally getting into the movie. And I think it's appropriate to kind of lead off with the marketing campaign for this movie because it was extensive and pervasive. All right. So much hype. The hype hype train was long and it was coming at us in full force. And the big thing that they were talking about with this, one of them anyway, was Enter the Matrix, this sort of companion video game that set like sort of like as an ancillary story to the matrix reloaded. It focused on Niobe and her compatriot ghost. And there's something like an additional hour, extra hour of footage that the Wachowskis shot just for enter the matrix. So if you think about it, there's something like five and a half hours of matrix footage just for these two movies and this video game and the video game. It's, it's been something like, 15 years since I've played it. So I honestly couldn't tell you the story or what happened. (laughs) I just remember like, yeah, it was kind of fun to play and be in the matrix world Hmm. in in, in a limited capacity. But granted, I would have wanted to have played as Neo and fly around, beat the crap out of agents, shoot up (laughs) the lobby from the first film. And that video game did eventually come out, but it just wasn't what we got during that time. Mm hmm. So the, would you say the video game served more as a marketing tool oh, yeah, to push absolutely. the film? It wasn't? Okay. This is still hard in the age of video game movie tie-ins. Ah, okay. Every major blockbuster had some vid- type of video game coming out around the same time. and Oh, my God. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. And nowadays, thankfully, that industry is like yeah. dead. <laughs> Done. But yeah, we don't see those type of adaptations anymore, thankfully. I think the MCU really kind of killed those. Yeah, 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 we don't. I remember hearing about the video game and seeing it, but I I was a very sheltered child, so I was not able to see these films when they came out or play the game. That's that's fine. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) But I will take your gentleman's words for it. And the video game even released the day before the film came out. So you could you could play the video game in its entirety, and then the very next day go see The Matrix Reloaded and connect the dots between the two. Because I think there's there's portions of the movie where Niobe just shows up. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, we've been asked to bring you in. And then the very and then that's an entire level in the in the video game. Oh, cool. Because you have the option of either playing as Niobe or Ghost, which is it's very cool. A, another pioneering kind of aspect because now you can play as different kinds of characters in any sort of a game you choose wow so yeah but i mean the game didn't do it didn't do great it got oh <laughs> got mediocre reviews it sold well but i think that was more because of the matrix packaging with it yeah so, yeah of. that sounds pretty like well you can find out more about our movie yeah like yeah. here see all this footage that we shot that didn't make it into the main movie <laughs> and you have to spend an additional 40 dollars to see <laughs> 
those corporate chills. <laughs> uh, we've also got uh, the Animatrix, the released right around the same time as uh, the Matrix Reloaded came out. It was this collection of short animated films that served as sort of like prequel stories to the main series of films. I think there's a, a two-parter called Renaissance that kind of explains you know, how the machines were created, their uprising, and then the eventual war, and you know how the how the world came to be, and how the machines built the Matrix to keep humanity all you know comforted and uh, basically in um, electro jelly, I guess. <laughs> That's cool. It, I, I gotta watch it. And it mentions um, the the final flight of the Osiris, which is what directly leads into the Matrix Reloaded, because there's that meeting with the captains at the very beginning where Niobe says, here are the last transmissions from the Osiris. This, I think it's on like a 15 minute short film that shows, you know, their, the Osiris getting their Intel and having to drop it off and give it to the other captains. Okay. That makes sense. So that's why, okay. The film starts the way it does. Cause you got to watch this. Yeah. And, uh, the product placement, the product placement is off the chain in this movie. I there's Powerade and I remember before this movie came out I think Powerade exclusively made their green color drink for the entirety leading up to this film and up until the Matrix Revolutions all I remember was green Powerade everywhere <laughs> you couldn't get away from it <laughs> and then you had the the Cadillacs the new model Cadillacs that were introduced here um the freeway chase is basically a long commercial for those Cadillacs is what it is. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. And then that cool, um, I guess flip phone isn't the right word, but like uh, like lever phone. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what to call that. Wasn't it more of a uh, phone that slid, like a sliding? Yeah. Like you push a button and it, like it, it, the it keyboard extends comes out. out. Yeah. yeah. I remember those. That was super limited edition. I think they, Samsung only made like 10,000 of those. Wow. They went all in on this. But I also remember it costing a crap load of money. Like, I think it cost something in the neighborhood of $1,500. So, no, it was very cost prohibitive. Nobody could get these things. And if you did, you were uber rich. And, and of course, you just waited two more years for the iPhone to come out. <laughs> like, what, what am I doing with this thing now? I don't need it anymore. I just bought it because I really like the Matrix movies. This is so like marketing. This is like they went all in. I've, I don't know if I've ever seen a movie that's been like this all in for the marketing. I think nowadays it's pretty standard to see this because um, anytime a new MCU film comes out, it the marketing for it is there's commercials everywhere. You can't get away from them online. There's toys like Nowadays, toy leaks have become as big as actual plot detail leaks. Yeah, because actually, yeah, because with Ghostbusters, they leaked the, um, yeah, Harold Ramis, Egon, his toy was there. And people were like, ooh, ghost Egon, you know? So I see, okay. Yeah, you're right. Spoilers for Ghostbusters. Oh, my bad. Oh, we've got to pass episode of Ghostbusters Afterlife. <laughs> oh, uh, okay. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Check out Chris and Jose's review of Ghostbusters Afterlife. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's just the marketing campaign, long and hard, driving home the point like, hey, buy Matrix stuff. Yeah, it's that just sounds, well, that's part of our culture. Yep. What else is new in this film? So, starts out, we see, uh, you know, the meeting, but then we see the return of Smith. 
and Smith is able to facilitate. He's able to change and I guess what embody, take over the control of someone he like can assimilate into someone and reproduce himself, which is different than the first Matrix where they could just like switch places with someone. What did you think about that? I wasn't a huge fan of how they scaled down the agents themselves and sort of made them less threatening. Like mm-hmm. Neo is pretty able to dispatch that those group of three agents that show up and knocks them all unconscious and then flies away real quick. So the Asians are here, but they almost don't need to be in a lot of that, uh, in a lot of respects. Because mm-hmm. the idea of having Smith untethered from the Matrix and able to manipulate programs as he sees fit is more threatening than having a group of agents show up and try to do their thing. Yeah. And they're just rehashing a lot of old tricks. They still have the same voice cadence as Smith. <laughs> and they have the ability to move really quick and dodge bullets and uh, and just insert themselves in the other programming. So it's we don't see anything new from the agents that do show up anyway. No, they're very beta model. Because the first you had like the police and agents was like the FBI. But now it's like police, agents, and Smith is like the overall end boss. I think they still add a level of uh, difficulty for not Neo, but the other characters like Trinity and Morpheus because they're still a threat to them. Um, So I wouldn't totally discount them. No, they still, they're still a threat. You're absolutely right. But there's so many points in the film where they become more of an afterthought. Like when they show up in the freeway chase, like, oh, yeah, you know what would make this even more interesting is if we had a three agents show up and start, <laughs> you know, pummeling cars out of the way. Yeah. And they do end up just turning into Smith in the end. He's like, it's almost like they're like little minions and toys. They're like, ah, here you go. So I, I kind of agree with you. They do kind of lose their punch from the first film. Definitely. Well, and more so, Jeremy, like what you were saying about them. Yeah, they're certainly a threat to Morpheus and Trinity. But even for a while, Trinity is able to hold her own against that agent she's confronted with at the near the end of the film. Until the end, when she's falling from the building in slow motion while shooting at the... I was like, even if she managed to kill the agent, how is she going to get out of that? That was my thought, too. That was... While I'm watching, I'm like, how... All right, great. You're still falling. (laughs) Like, what are you going to do, You can't fly. (laughs) Poor choice. Very poor choice. <laughs> oh, that's funny. How did, speaking of that, though, how did you feel about the action sequences? So this film, tons of action. Oh, my God. There's like an action scene every 10 minutes from the beginning to that car chase to Trinity falling. What did you think? Like it was a big to the Smiths. I think this this film was a big transition into new style action because the first film like we had kung fu scenes it was very grounded um not much cgi this they go all out like jumping on cars falling out of buildings flying through the air what did you think of that it certainly takes a while to get to those big action sequences I think the first glimpse of action we get is Neo fighting those agents at the beginning, but then there's a long pause in between the action. There's nothing else that happens until Neo fights the, the, the big group of Smiths in what was known as the Burly Brawl. And then there's, then there's still a long way to get before the freeway chase happens. And the freeway chase is the tentpole action sequence, I think, of this film. 
I think you, you don't get any better than the lobby shootout in the first film. Like that is the best action sequence in this series, but the freeway chase is up there. It's incredible. I think that that initial fight between the Merovingians, henchmen and Neo kind of drags on a bit longer than it should. I mean, and it's, it's basically like a, it, all it is is a slow motion showcase is what it is. Yeah. I like that fight scene though, at least for me, because there weren't a lot of graphics, it seems like in, in that mm-hmm. fight scene. And then I think you guys all forgot, even though it's not very big, he had that very, Neo had that very short, fight with Seraph to make sure he was the one mm-hmm. that was cool to watch <laughs> but it, it, it but it really kind of doesn't do anything other than like it, it introduces us to Seraph that's as this I badass mean. character that's what I'm saying there's like, so many fights like I had to make sure you're the one like how do you not know he's the one it's, that's everyone knows there's so many where it's like I feel they did not need these fight scenes you know they could have easily just had a conversation or like why do you need to battle? What if Seraph killed him? But then he's not the one, you know? I had the feeling <laughs> that UN Wu-Ping was not brought back to choreograph the fights because I noticed there was something a bit off with the tempo of the fights. It wasn't as fast as they were in the first film. So I, I have a feeling that somebody else choreographed these fights. Yeah, they, I don't know, the Kung Fu kind of, I'm, I'm tapped out. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of, it was a lot of telegraphing of moves. It was very slow. I mean, I get it. You kind of you have to go slow in some kung fu scenes in order for it to be captured on film. That's something they've asked of uh, of Bruce Lee when he was on film. That's also something they've asked of um, the actor who played Sub Zero in the Mortal Kombat film to slow down his moves because they have to be captured on film. Mm-hmm. But I I don't know. It just seems very slow yeah. to me. De- almost too deliberate. Like, oh, we have to go so slow so the action is captured on film. But then by doing that, it takes just so long. <laughs> like with the scene with Seraph, you know, Neo's battling six guys. And it's like he literally engages with each one two or three times and jumping over the stairs. And it's like at some point for me, I just tapped out. Where I'm like, all right, how long is this going to go? Because there's still the other two guys that are chasing Morpheus. And then Neo is going to probably end up fighting someone else. So it just to me, it went a little too long. But I don't know. Maybe they just didn't know because of the rush schedule to release. They're like, ah, we don't know what to write, so let's just have a ten-minute action scene. My my good laugh uh, during the Merovingian henchman fight was the the guy that gets stuck by the the knife in the wall, and then he just realizes, oh, I could just pull it out. Yeah. Now I'm free. Yeah. A full two minutes later. Yeah, I wish he would have killed them. Like that was my biggest gripe with that film. Like Neo, you, know, you have so many chances where you could stab these guys in the face especially with the little knives and he's just hitting them with the hilt of his weapon i'm like dude i understand kung fu but come on these guys want to murder you you can stop bullets you mean to tell me you can't just turn those bullets around and go right back at him yes he should have done a harrison ford from indiana jones just that would have made that scene so much better because then the frenchman would have been like crap what do i do i I mean i will say the smith fight the burly brawl it it is well choreographed and it's engaging i think it also serves as a very important turning point in the film because it's neo seeing an untethered smith for the first time and realizing just how powerful he's become now that he's separated from the matrix it it takes a long while to get to that point yeah and then it also doesn't help that these great action sequences are like filled in with 
these very lengthy existential monologues. It's ridiculous. Like Excellent. you get monologues from the Merovingian, and it's it's. Oh, I tune out hard when the Merovingian speaks because I just <laughs> I didn't want to listen to it. The it's only monologue that's really worth listening to is the one where the Oracle is explaining her nature as a program, and then also like what Neo has to do for the remainder of the film. That's the only one that's important and worth listening to, in my opinion. Okay, I like the architect as well as. Uh uh, the Oracle, but yeah, the Merovingian, the Frenchman, that was so stupid because <laughs> it was just so lavish and it was weird too with the imagery because it was like this blonde woman that's eating cake and ends up, I think, uh, having an orgasm or something and then has to leave and you're just like, what is happening? Well, this is so just extra. Yeah, that was to demonstrate cause and effect. I think you could have... Uh demonstrated cause and effect a different way literally knock a cup off the table cause and effect right <laughs> you don't have to have this whole elaborate thing of her eating cake and then the weird matrix sparkle light go into her crotch it's, what was in that cake <laughs> i don't that was my thoughts too <laughs> i've never seen anyone react i've that never way. seen a chocolate cake do that to anybody <laughs> okay not even the best chocolate cake in the world does that to people. And then the man goes and has sex with her. So. Well, the, the, <laughs> these monologues don't do anything no. other than for Neo to say why. <laughs> he was asking our questions in the audience. Why am I listening no, to this? No, you substitute why with what? <laughs> and that's what I'm thinking when I'm watching these, uh, hearing this dialogue and watching these interactions. I'm just going, what are you saying? <laughs> what can is you, happening? Can you draw it on a board, please? <laughs> Can you explain this to me like I'm six years old? What are you saying? <laughs> Between that and choice, 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 we hear that thrown around this whole movie. It's just too long. Too choice. Long. Choice. So much choice. It, like That is the theme of this movie, and it is beaten like a dead horse. Yes. And I understand. You know, that's they had to keep with the philosophical concepts. We have the choice to, even with the architect, you can choose to save them. Or repopulate the world. But even Morpheus, like he has that choice of obeying Commander Locke's orders mm -hmm. and returning to Zion, but he chooses to ignore that and hang out and hear from the Oracle. And ultimately, he asks somebody else to do it for him to hang out for the Oracle, and he goes back to Zion. Trinity, she had the choice to stay out of the Matrix, but she went in to save Neo. And she says, like, I had to. I had no choice. Like, yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, it's all predestined. The the philosophical question, though, I that's one thing I kind of appreciated rewatching this movie. I mean, granted, they beat it to you know they beat it down your throat, but uh, you know it's the it's just interesting to think about at least for me. Like like, are we living in a world where we do have choice or don't we? You know, is is our fate predetermined or is it not? And then. Um, you know, the Oracle points out, you know, maybe there isn't a choice. Uh, you're just you just have to understand why you're making the choices you are. So, I mean, those are those are kind of the deep yeah. thoughts that that I sort of appreciated by rewatching this movie, because I don't think I got that uh, any time before I, I've watched the film. I will agree with Jeremy. The first time the action scenes blew me away, like, whoa, too much. But the second time, the choice with the Oracle, it's better. Like, because that was the thing. She knows everything that's going to happen. So do we really have a choice? 
But the idea of being knowing why you're choosing that and being educated about the choices you make, it's pretty cool. You know, I, I actually really found that interesting. Then cause and effect, you know, predestinate. There, it's like the architect, the oracle, the French guy, they all represent different things in the, you know, philosophical concepts. So it's kind of neat when you watch it. And I do recommend doing it while high or something because it's totally worth it. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if we can uh, recommend that, but. Uh, oh, yeah. No, no, no. Don't do drugs. <laughs> you recommend being high for a lot of movies you watch. So at this point, it just kind of like become your standard MO to watch movies while intoxicated. <laughs> That's Sean's new rating. <laughs> Please. Uh, Would watch high. <laughs> <laughs> We're adding in a special category just for Sean. Because, <laughs> man, if he doesn't watch an edible, I don't know if it's worth watching. <laughs> Please consult your doctor if you are going to do drugs. Thank you. <laughs> we have the standard CYA. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, God. That's funny. I think this movie is... In a lot of ways, it is certainly about choice, as we discussed, but I think a lot of it does subvert our expectations. And a lot of things yeah. that were set up and discussed in the first film, we're now kind of seeing the fruits of that, like especially um, in terms of seeing Zion for the first time. And I don't know exactly what I expected. I knew we were going to see some type of underground city, and but like Tank's description is rather vague from the first film. All he says is, you know, deep under the earth, near the core where it's warm. And then there's we don't get much other like hints of like what to expect here. And it looked cool. It looked great. Um, it's so kind of like a brain with the different passageways, you know, across. That's kind of interesting. Definitely, you know, got a you know nuclear fallout 1960s bunker vibe to it. Oh yeah. I yeah I think I think it looked pretty good. My my only thing is when it went into the caves. That was uh, that was not something i was expecting of zion oh that i did not understand like no. you have this very large industrial bunker type city and yet you have a vast huge cave system that is built on top of it like how does that how is that <clears throat> cave not collapsed at this point they just haven't had enough raves that's probably i was gonna say the whole the whole reason that thing exists is for their raves and orgies and that cave is just gross all the time, right? <laughs> it is gross. Yes. They don't have condoms in that whole scene. No, they don't. There's sweat. There's there's sex going on in it. Like that I don't do not want to be the person who has to clean that cave. <laughs> right. I would be afraid to go in it and touch it because I don't want chlamydia on my hand. <laughs> well, you know, the people that are red pills, maybe they're just a bunch of hackers and maybe that's what hackers did and Oh, three. <laughs> <laughs> There's there has to be like a separate cave, right? For like actual meetings and business as opposed to like, no, like Saturdays are for that's the rave cave. Sundays are like for the congregation cave. They have to like walk through the cave to get to the office cave. You're like, ah, oh, they didn't clean up last night. What is this? What am I stepping in? <laughs> There's not enough plastic. <laughs> they have an office cave, the rave cave, the sports cave. They have cave for everything here. <laughs> it's so nasty. I'd hate to be the cleaning employees uh, cleaning up after that. <laughs> Those are the real heroes. <laughs> I 
You're right. Like, Either you join to... the military or be the cave cleaning crew. I'm being in the military. Screw, yeah. <laughs> Screw that. At least there's no orgies in the military. <laughs> Your shelf life for longevity, you have more of a chance to live in the military than the cave crew. <laughs> Potential uh, for AIDS, chlamydia, STDs. No I thing. was just watching that rave scene and just thinking like, that's disgusting. Because you see people with long hair flinging sweat all over the place. It's got to be hot in there. So everybody's sweating. They're all grinding on each other like it's some you know, high school dance. <laughs> and it's so just weird because Morpheus is like he gives his speech and yeah, and everyone just cheers and starts grinding. What a weird... Uh, it was not what I was anticipating at all. No. And then you have like Neo and trinity just banging so it just drives home the sex it's like ah sweaty imagery oh butt cheeks and grinding it's morpheus's rah-rah moment and like rah-rah moments are best saved for sports films and his speech is so ridiculous it is we've come to expect eloquence in grandiose metaphors for morpheus but this is this is morpheus doing his best high school football coach impression and it's I just started laughing this time around watching it. It's like, like, what are, are you trying to tell people like, don't be afraid, machines are coming? Like, you know, there's two hundred fifty thousand machines that are coming to kill every single one of you. It's okay to be a little afraid of all of that. I agree. But he makes a choice to. I don't. I wouldn't call it lying to people. Yeah. But I would like. I would say underselling it or undermining exactly what the threat is. He just believed in that prophecy, man. Even when it didn't come out to be true, he's like, no, it can't be true. It has to be true. <laughs> well, and then as you were mentioning, too, it doesn't help that this rave sequence is intercut with this love scene between Neo and Trinity. But it, it, we just get these, it's, it feels cringy to watch. It really does. I can't tell if it's like the Wachowskis going deep into the like Plato's Republic where it's like, you know, once a year for, for two weeks, like they repopulate. Right. And then they do their business. Or if like, he's like, well, let's all have sex and get pregnant in case people don't survive. You know, we can have so like, I don't, or is that just how they party? They just go hard. Maybe that's just how they party there. I mean, like, like I said, uh, I think that cave is exclusively used for rave purposes. But then also people take their (laughs) shoes off there, too. So it's obviously a place of of reverence that they're now desecrating with all sorts of sweat and sex. (laughs) I think there's a mixed message going on with this cave, to be honest. Let's go back tomorrow and pray in the puddles. Mm. We don't know what these puddles are, though. Be careful. <laughs> while while we are bashing the whole idea of the cave, I, I do appreciate the um, the idea of celebrating life before war. Oh, I, yeah. You know that 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 I get, but I just would have gone a different route. I would have gone a different route in, with a lot of these things that the Wachowskis did, but that's just me, I guess. I mean, you had a, a very bloated cast. I think and this was an easy way to get them all on screen. Have a big party. <laughs> that does make sense. I didn't even think about that. Celebrating life before war. Fair enough. Yeah. But still, there's so many different It's ways. so fun having so- Jeremy back on the podcast because we also get the return of Jeremy's jabs. Yes. <laughs> I don't even know what that, that is right now. So. <laughs> I guess we'll have to figure it out. You just say something smart and profound that Sean and I are totally glossing over. <laughs> we totally forget. We're like, oh, crap. It's that third party. Um, so what did you think about freaking Smith 
And we see the Smith is in the real world now. He inhabits the body of Bane. Yeah, he's able to get into Bane and take him over and then become this real world representation of Smith. And there's that very tense moment where we think he's going to go stab Neo in the back after, you know, he carves up his hand for some odd reason. I don't know. I don't know if Smith just wants the sensation of knowing what it's like to bleed. Maybe. Because he, well, yeah, he hates humans so much. He hates humans. He talks about how disgusting they are all the time, <laughs> and yet he's obsessed with cutting into Bane's arm to make him bleed. Maybe he likes the feeling of pain. That's a good question. But he does sound like Smith. That's the best part of <laughs> that inhabit Bane, Mr. Anderson. I wonder if Hugo Weaving had to uh, give him some lessons. I heard that. Um, <laughs> I heard that Ian Bliss, the actor who plays Bane was cast because he looks like weaving and then they just found out like oh you do a pretty good impression of him don't you <laughs> i wonder what that casting was like <laughs> How, what's your hugo weaving impression <laughs> <laughs> no not him it's just we want hugo weaving doing agent smith can you do that <laughs> it would have been fun to see christopher walken and try to do that like How's it going, Mr. Anderson? <laughs> Bro, that would have been amazing. Who should have been cast? I just wanted to say good luck, Neo. <laughs> I hope you do what you wanted to do on this mission. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> man. I mean, it, but I, I don't feel like that Smith should have been able to take over Bane. Because if you think about it, Smith, all he's doing is assimilating Bane's avatar in the Matrix. He's yeah. not assimilating Bane. So that if, if I think Smith is supposed to be more like a virus as opposed to mm-hmm. like an actual rogue program. Yeah, that's like the Oracle going back to, yeah, inhibiting the consciousness of the human which I guess that's like kind of their thing that they're doing. Yeah, he Smith takes over the consciousness of Bane. I don't know. I heard I was watching a review and someone said that they wrote out as a quick throwaway line in the movie for how they transfer the consciousness to the avatar. So I guess they threw something out there. They used big words and then some anatomy terms. Who knows though? Well, I I was thinking i i missed that part so i'd have to go back and and it was the blonde chick doctor thing. oh okay yeah. i mean there are there are some people out there that say uh the human body is like a computer you know hmm. so i mean if you think about it you know we've got our brain telling our body to do certain processes um unconsciously too so you know you, so you kind of can maybe think about it like that in, in terms of uh, Smith possibly overriding the the program of Bane's brain and imprinting his onto him. I don't, I don't know if that makes sense or not. Yeah. No, I mean, now that you say it, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> Tell us anything, Jeremy, it'll make sense. <laughs> no. Jeremy's chips. <laughs> yeah. no, the, pod, the podcast is now Sean and I listening to Jeremy as he <laughs> explains our movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes i mean it, it but it also kind of got me thinking like could a computer program exist in this function like in the real world like in our world like i mean i mean i would think something like that what we see with smith assimilating bane and rewriting 
rewiring his brain is something more akin to artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, we certainly see computer uh, computer programs existing, like mobile phone apps. That's a great example of you know programs like the Matrix or the Oracle existing in the real world. But sure. but what Smith does is more is more like an is more like an AI, a highly advanced one that can assimilate and take over programs. Mm-hmm. And we're obviously a very long way away from artificial intelligence. And we've talked about AI extensively on our podcast. We have several episodes. I mean, we have her Avengers Age of Ultron talking about artificial intelligence, but I don't think we could see something like this. It's as malevolent and all-consuming as Smith is. No, not yet. But maybe one day in the future. Be very scary. <laughs> Terrifying. <laughs> as soon as Skynet is built, I'm <laughs> I'm walking into the volcano by myself. <laughs> like I've seen this movie, I know how it ends. <laughs> Elizabeth is like, Chris, why are we going to Hawaii? <laughs> What's over there? Uh, no reason. I'm just terrified of Skynet that was just released. <laughs> uh, so how about this? With uh programs because we did mention that you know oracle um architects programs what did you think about that because this movie did unveil that oracle is a program you know it's the first time because in the first film we didn't really get too much more invested in like the constructs that operate the matrix but she reveals it to or i guess uh neil i guess asks the question or figures it out that oracle is a person I mean, is, she's it, designed. is it really that surprising to learn that she's a program, though? I mean, because obviously she's we have to infer from the first film that she is part of the Matrix in some way. Mm-hmm. And it'd be a very huge leap to think that she's somehow like another person that's jacked into the Matrix from some other location. But we have to assume right from the very first film that she is part of it in some way. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it was even pretty obvious and in fact inferred from the first movie so then it comes to beg it begs the question why is neo so surprised by this like <laughs> I, I i don't know it, it, it's weird like there's so many times where we see neo be the one and fully embrace his powers and then so many other times we see him like this lost puppy dog mm-hmm. it doesn't understand the nature of the world he inhabits like he his favorite word to say in this movie is why he doesn't un- grasp the concept that the Oracle is a program and that everything he sees in the Matrix is governed by some sort of program. Yeah. Like this is something that even we as viewers pick up on from the first film. And especially in this one, when they just lay it out to him, everything is all about balance. Right. You know, Neo Smith, they balance each other out. The Oracle, the architect, they balance each other out. Architect right. is about order, you know oracle choice you have the choice whereas they it's like all it's all about balance i don't know why he's i don't know he neil represents us as the audience so maybe they didn't get it in the first film i did like the deep dive and i apologize if i'm i'm jumping ahead but the you know during the architect's uh, uh monologue he explains the oracle's purpose as to um the humans accepting the program like that's like i guess she was supposed to 
find out uh, an efficient way for the humans to accept the program, I suppose, is from what I got to it. You know, I, I've seen this movie a handful of times. I still don't get the ar- all of the architect's monologue, so i got to go back and watch it again, like, probably another ten times. But <laughs> I, those were that was one of the things that the architect had mentioned. It's such a beefy monologue when they he really just exposition dumps on Neo. But I did think that was kind of interesting that the Oracle is there to help people kind of basically get that choice, red pill, blue pill, and, you know, be comfortable with what they live in. And I, so I think that was, you know, her purpose was to make the humans accept the matrix at first, but then she made a choice to stop doing what she was programmed to do. She made that choice, (laughs) which is what this freaking film is about. Yeah. (laughs) We don't get enough of it. At least it's better than the next one where it's just death. <laughs> death. Um, there is something I that I got curious about, like, but now that Neo is the one, he is this all powerful hero. Like he beats those agents easily. He flies around like like two hundred and fifty miles an hour. And I think having him as sort of this all powerful figure, I think it's sort does it diminish the action at all for you? Because in the scenes that we've talked about, the freeway chase and several of the other fights, it doesn't focus on Neo. And Morpheus and Trinity now become it. And it kind of underscores what we were sold mm-hmm. for this film. We wanted to see Neo get in these big, grandiose fights, and he only has really one. And the rest of the action is focused on the other characters. So, like, what this is, this is the Superman problem, is what it is. Yes. It's like um, with endgame you know captain marvel because when you have a two powered up character they have to go off screen somewhere do something else and they totally do that with this film every time neo is about to help morpheus like with the chase scene up door closes all right you're you know 500 miles away get over there you know and he saves him just in time so but i mean you have to remember the the all-powerful superhero can't always be there all the time you know so i i sort of do appreciate the fact that neo wasn't there sometimes i don't know mm-hmm. yeah but when trinity's falling he flies in out of nowhere and even link goes oh my god he caught her <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> they they used him as he became an ex machina unfortunately i you know that part reminds me of uh it reminded me of a big bang theory episode where they actually uh quote um Superman or not quote but we refer to Superman uh, Superman catches Lois at an uh, uh, unimaginable speed and it's the same thing here and what uh what um uh what they point out why am I forgetting the character's name who's the, who's the funny one on Big Bang Theory Sheldon Sheldon thank you this is so sad that I'm I'm having Aren't I'm they having <laughs> well sheldon is probably the funniest so but anyways uh <laughs> um basically sheldon points out the fact that because of the super fast uh speed basically catching lois or catching trinity in this case would kill them dismember them yeah. <laughs> she goes sliced in two but and then it's also we get a, like a Rise of Skywalker thing here where Neo is able to dig a bullet out of Trinity and just cast it aside. Ares starter hard. Right. And then he just all of a sudden can like sense machines in the real world. So he becomes literal Jesus Christ. I mean, it's 
I wonder if the fact that he like his powers in the human world happened because of the choice he made to save Trinity. I don't know. Did they talk about that in the film? Did I miss that? Why he became Jesus? No, no. My, and there's another issue there. And, and you know, I, I've, I have a nursing background. And, Sean, you have some health background, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, taking the bullet out and restarting the heart still doesn't fix the internal bleeding problem. Oh. So I'm a little confused there still. I was confused, too. I'm like, what, what happened? Did, did he heal now? Like, just repair the damage? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, yeah. I guess we didn't see it. I don't know. Right. There's a lot, apparently, we didn't see in this film. What pissed me off was that he was able to do this for Trinity, but yeah. not 10 minutes before, the Keymaker was shot with, like, a dozen bullets. Yeah! And you mean to tell me you can't do this for him? <laughs> the guy who bailed you out of the freeway chase, he gave Trinity the key, got you in the infinite hallway of doors, laid out this plan to destroy the matrix and you mean to tell me you can't do your jesus thing dig all those bullets out and save the key maker are you racist neo is it because he's asian <laughs> he didn't love him they even they don't even give the key maker a name they just give him yeah. <laughs> so he's definitely a less less important character apparently even though he's like the plot like he's literally the MacGuffin for the first half of the film gotta get the key maker gotta get the key maker maybe because He's a program. So Neil's like, ah, screw this guy. He's going to be back the next, you know, reboot. Like, I can, I can only do this with avatars of humans. I can't do it with programs. <laughs> I don't know. He just loves Trinity so much, even though that was my gripe of this film. I did not like the love story. I, it felt like a page out of George Lucas in the uh, prequels. I don't know. Maybe I missed it. Maybe that was what I haven't. Was that my gripe in the first podcast? <laughs> I can't remember, but it just it wasn't doing it for me, man. Their love story. I don't there's, know about you. They're certainly in that phase of their relationship where they can't keep their hands off of each other. <laughs> but like that's where they're in the elevator and Link and the kid get out and they start going at each other. <laughs> like that elevator stops at some point, right? Like they don't try to hit the like the emergency stop button. <laughs> Because like, I've never done anything like that, but I'm like, in every other movie I see where characters start to get it on in the elevator, somebody always hits that emergency stop button, right? <laughs> Which, yeah. I didn't know there was an emergency stop button in elevators. I don't think there is now. No. Like, I don't think that's a choice. I think that's just a movie thing for people, you know, to do the nasty in an elevator. But, but like, I've... I've never considered like doing that in an elevator because I'm terrified I'd get caught and like it's dirty in there. There's been so many other people in those elevators who put their hands and butts and things everywhere. Like I don't want to do that. That's gross. Not to mention probably the elevator rave parties they have. This place has got to be gross. Is Zion just like this incredibly dirty place <laughs> where there isn't enough bleach to make it sanitary? <laughs> they just love life, guys. Come on. They love life. They love the production of life. And apparently that includes some sexy sex time. I would just be walking around in a hazmat suit the entire time. It's like I'd be afraid to touch anything. Like, no, there was a there was a rave in the cave last night. I caught somebody doing the nasty in the elevator. The my, the bunker I live in is gross. Everything's gross. I'm not touching a single thing anymore. Imagine this story. They have to tell some a human that they unplug a new one. All right, you're going to go to Zion, but wear a hazmat suit. Don't sit on anything without wiping it off. Just trust me. You're going to need a lot of Clorox wipes. <laughs> they probably don't even have Clorox. And Purell. <laughs> this is a force-fed sci-fi uh, PSA. 
Wash your hands. Wash your hands. <laughs> We're all adults. Wash your hands. The CDC shouldn't have to tell you to wash your hands. <laughs> you should know to wash your hands. <laughs> you gross people. You're all disgusting. So, back to Matrix Reloaded. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Did you, uh, I, well, <laughs> did you have any lens flares? His mind was the rave. That whole thing. There's so many to pick from. Um, there's, so, there's so many, like the spoon that was given to Neo before he goes back into the Matrix before he leaves. Um, the CGI during the Smith fight. But I have to say the most egregious to me is during their burly brawl. And there's a moment in it where Neo grabs a Smith and throws him into a bunch of other Smiths. And you hear this sound effect. And the sound effect can be found in only one place in the entire world. And that's bowling alleys. You hear the sound of bowling pins crashing down as a body is thrown into other bodies. That does not happen. And I, it, I got so mad hearing that sound effect. It's like, come on! We know those. We all know those are bowling pins. It's so stupid. Come on, Chris. What? Maybe that's just the sound it makes in the Matrix. No. Because <laughs> we heard Smiths crash into other Smiths before this. This is the only time we hear bowling pins. <laughs> maybe that's like part of this iteration, right? Because they had vampire guys in the other iteration. Maybe just everything's bowling. <laughs> oh, now there's a bowling matrix. There's too many matrixes. <laughs> oh, Jeremy, do you have a lens flare? Yeah, I mean, there's a few. I mean, I, we've already kind of touched on them, so we obviously don't have to go into a lot of detail. But uh, the, I, I think there's too much sex, sexualization. I think in the in the film, and then uh, the the. The bad, the bad graphics. I, I don't know. I it comes up a couple times in the film, and you know, I guess we do. Like like Sean said, it's it's it was the beginning of that type of technology. So I guess we got to forgive them a little bit. A little bit harder for me to forgive, but uh, <laughs> still one of my lens flares. I think. How about you, Sean? Yeah, that's pretty much that, and uh, that whole scene, Barley Brawl, and the raves just did not need to be there. Did not well, not didn't need to go that long, and. It was very jarring for me. So, as we've discussed, <laughs> that freaking rave, the sex, and then that. They just, like, I don't know. When I have to ask why, there's a problem. But, you know, kudos to that Burly Brawl scene because it did make me laugh. As we discussed, I think, in the first Matrix about the MTV with JT. Like, I immediately thought about <laughs> Neo fighting the Smiths and... Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Don't be so quick to walk away. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. I was like, oh, I love this. If only the Wachowskis did that. Wet Willie. <laughs> Mr. <Tim>. Timberlake. What about red shirts? <laughs> Sean, now lead us off with your red shirts. So my red shirts were um, the pilot. And the dude with the jacked up leg that ends up getting uh, murdered, you know, like uh, when they're trying to blow up the, you know, restart the grid and everything. And then those the dude's just like he's a pilot. The one guy, the stairs collapse once they get the like bomb thrown at him. He just murder those guys. And I feel like their whole purpose for those two being on the screen was to have the bridge collapse and the guy to get impaled. Just gruesome. 
I would actually my my red shirts are the same. Yeah, definitely turned into a little bit of a gory horror movie there. Yeah, <laughs> right through the chest, and not even the right part of the chest. It was like through his right lung. So I'm like, would he die though? I mean, if you're if, depending on how you're impaled, I mean, yeah, you could die. You you would die. It, it might take a couple minutes, but yeah, you would die. Yeah, yeah, Just, that's a movie thing <laughs> where people like fall at an iron grate fence and it like only pierces their flank or something yeah like no you die from that <laughs> like because you're you're piercing a lot of organs there's also yeah. infection yeah i guess so that yeah. hurts it, you die from that because i just felt like the amount of blood that came out i'm like i don't think it well actually no i probably got his vena cava yeah he's he's dead yeah. i was gonna say it either got aorta vena cava or if it ju- if it was literally only the long uh, the amount of bleeding into the lung yeah. would, would eventually cause the death. So, yes, uh, sorry about the gory uh, information there, folks. <laughs> and this has been the Anatomy Hour with Jeremy and Sean. Because <laughs> I was like, is he going to have attention pneumothorax or is it uh, the one with the blood? So, yeah, yeah. Or what is that called? Which one? Because tension pneumothorax is where the air's in uh, there, but what's the blood version of it? Um, uh, it's it's evading me. I forget. Once again, we're in the anatomy hour with Sean <laughs> and Jeremy. <laughs> Sorry, that was my thoughts watching this. Uh, uh, my red shirt would have to be the um, the henchman that Persephone shoots in the head with the silver bullets. Oh my god, yes! <laughs> it's implied that that guy was a werewolf, right? Yeah. So she just like shoots him in the head and like go tell my husband what I did. I I thought it was I thought it would be vampire because it was a silver bullet. So silver silver stake kills vampire silver silver bullet. I know silver kills werewolves. No, oh, so maybe it's both. Maybe that was part of that era. Huh. Maybe yeah, holdovers from uh past iterations of the Matrix, but that's the version of Matrix I want to see. Yeah. The, the werewolf vampire one, man. <laughs> what the, the heck? We want to see the universal classic movie monster <laughs> version of the Matrix. Where is that? Come I want on. the creature from the Black Lagoon Matrix. <laughs> I hope this new one has it. Dang it. I want to see it. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, that's what bothered us, though. Do you want to sure. want to hear what bothered other people with the latest edition of This Week in Toxic Fandom? I always do. <laughs> so at about 91 minutes, Trinity, with the Keymaster, steals a Ducati superbike from a moving truck. Next, she is involved with numerous agents chasing her in regular police cars or similar vehicles. However, the police are driving normal American automobiles and catch up to her with these. This is patently absurd. A Ducati is like a Ferrari on two wheels. Powerful, exotic, and very fast. Much too fast for them to ever get close. This person put a lot of thought in their critique of vehicles catching up to the motorbike. I mean, they just really love vehicles, it sounds like. I I love the fact that a Ducati is like a Ferrari on two wheels. Mm -hmm. Like, just watch the movie. Just watch the movie, man. Nobody cares what you think. They Just were, watch it. They weren't going that fast. I, I'm sorry to break it to you, but I don't know if they saw the scene where the you know Trinity's ramming into the Smith's car. Like it, it's pretty slowed down. I don't know if they know that. You know, it's not. They weren't going full speed. Surprise. Was the Ducati also product placement? I don't know. I guess I didn't know that it was a Ducati, but was it obvious? It probably was. I think their Ducati likes to put their logo very prominently on the gas tank of their motorbikes. 
I can't believe how much product placement was in this film. Yeah. I, I, I now thinking about it over again. Holy crap. Yeah. Like there's product placement in every movie, but like in this period of Hollywood, it was egregiously bad. I guess because like when I think of product placement, I think of Adam Sandler films where he's literally like, hmm, Subway, you know, like I don't think of, you know, the Matrix, but this is all coming, coming full circle now. Yep. <laughs> Uh, did we have anybody who we thought was not doing their job? Well, that would be misogynist to say the French woman's wife. Oh, misogynist. <laughs> well, you know, it's her job <laughs> to, like, support him and, you know. But the Merovingian wasn't providing her love. No, he was not, because that was her kink. Love. And then shooting her husband's henchman in the head. <laughs> She's got some weird kinks. Maybe, yeah, I was going to say, maybe that's her kink. Maybe PVC and murdering people are, are her kinks. You know, and again, the weird sexualization, she had to kiss Neo. Yeah. Passionately. The peck was not good enough. She wanted that. Yeah. It's so weird. It was even more just cringy sex stuff. <laughs> it was like the Wachowski saying, yeah, we do sex in the movies. <laughs> maybe it was like their thing that they were going through i don't i don't know who knows i do wonder that which yeah, maybe maybe it was we don't want to kink shame anybody i mean whatever you know yeah you do your thing bondage it up if that's your thing folks this is force-fed sci-fi we we support <laughs> as long as you're not hurting or harming anyone or yourself thank you <laughs> Yeah, to piggyback off of that, my person not doing their job is Commander Locke. <laughs> I mean, he knows that there is a huge army coming towards Zion to destroy everything and everyone. And you would think he would want to explore every option available to him to protect the city and destroy the machines. And then, but he's all like, no, bring all the ships back. <laughs> bring all the ships back. I don't care about Neo. I don't care about prophecies. This is bullcrap. He did not care. He was a non-believer in that hobo mumbo jumbo. Definitely was not um, a leader of the the cave, the rave in the cave. No. Yeah, his relationship with his wife was weird. I was like, wait, you left Morpheus for this guy? Or Morpheus left her, I think. Um, I think it was the other way around. I think she left Morpheus because of how invested and zealous he was about the prophecy. Wow. Yeah, because he did get off on that prophecy a little yeah. bit. And then he had to have his bubble burst. It was like the, the prophecy was all BS. Poor guy. <laughs> well, anything else before we jump into our rating? Or the legacy. The legacy of this film. As we said, MTV made fun of it. So much fun of it. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, your movie's not a movie when it becomes just parody fodder. Yes, which I we will add that clip onto the website. So if you don't know what the heck we're talking about, get ready. It's so great. It's so funny. <laughs> Oh, I think we, uh, if we, if it's possible, I think we should put the whole thing in its, in its entirety on it because it is so ridiculous. Because Andy Dick, Wanda Sykes, Will Ferrell, they all get in on just dumping on this movie sometimes. Like the, even Will Ferrell goes, "Ergo, vis a vis, concordantly." You know, I have no idea what the hell I just said. I just said it because it sounded cool. <laughs> Uh, box office for this film made $741.8 million off of a alleged $127-150 million. So that's pretty uh, pretty good profit. Yeah, this is actually the highest grossing rated R film of all time until Deadpool came out in 2016. Smash that. 
So, I mean, it, this grossed more money than the original did. So it did what it set out to do. And you have to figure, like, on top of the $150 million uh, budget estimate, if that is truly what they spend, you should probably tack on an additional $100 million based on the fact that they developed a video game, they gave a bunch of money to Powerade, Cadillac, Samsung, Ducati. So you have to figure that they spent at least $250 million on this movie. Easy. Yeah. They made their money back, though. So kudos to them. I think it got it like a 73% on Rotten Tomatoes at the time. So it was kind of, it was okay. It's like 75% of the critics really liked it. Yeah. 70, uh, 62 on Metacritic. It was a B plus on Cinema Score. Um, the first film in the series is obviously still the highest rated. You're not going to, you know, no. knock that king off of the hill there. Um, no surprises here. Received no Academy Award nominations or Saturn nominations because there was another movie in this series coming out in the same year. Mm. Um, Entertainment Weekly did it no favors. Uh, did call it one of the worst sequels ever made, <laughs> which, I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to call it that because The Amazing Spider-Man 2 is still out there. <laughs> And 2003 was a loaded year for movies. Like the the top 10 highest grossing films in this of this year. I mean, obviously this film is included in that, but you have Return of the King which won all of the Academy Awards that year. Oh yeah. You had Finding Nemo, the the first film of the Pirates of the Caribbean series, Curse of the Black Pearl. You had Bruce Almighty, The Last Samurai, which wow, amazing movie. I think not the first time we picked that as the non-sci-fi recommendation of the week, but that would be mine. <laughs> um, Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, X-Men, X2, wow, Bad Boys 2, all came out in this same year. A lot of competition for box office and eyes on screen. Mm-hmm. And 03 was a great year. 03, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and it was fun to read that this movie was actually banned in Egypt. There was because apparently they had issues with the violence and there was also um, the issue of creationism and um, the the religious, um, I guess, uh, I don't want to say stranglehold. That seems like a very harsh word to say on, you know, what what is going on over there. But, uh, yeah, they don't want to watch they don't want to watch this in Egypt. And that's OK. <laughs> I'm not going to judge you, Egypt. You have pyramids. They're red. <laughs> and oddly enough, this is the highest grossing film in the whole series. Yeah. I would have thought the first film, given you know how popular it was and how popular it has become, but I don't think we've seen a re-release of the first film in a long time. And now we're getting The Matrix 4 coming yeah. out in you know just a matter of days as to when we're recording this. 18 years later. Yeah. <laughs> That's a long time. It's a long time <laughs> to reboot, but we'll uh, we'll see. We'll see how that thing goes. I think it made so much money compared to the other ones, just because of the hype. You know, I think I think the success of the first one took a little bit. That's why that's why maybe the initial earnings to that movie wasn't as high, but then it caught on, and everybody said, "Oh my gosh, this is the most amazing thing ever." Oh, they're making a sequel. Oh, we got to go see that. And then people were let down. Yep. And because of the letdown, then they're like, screw Matrix. But we'll see. So with all that in mind, let's rate the Matrix Reloaded. So using our unique scale for force-fed sci-fi of wouldn't watch, would watch, would own, and would host a viewing party, Sean Culp, let's start off with you. What do you rate the Matrix Reloaded? Matrix Reloaded. What would I rate this film? 
Um, so for me, because of the kung fu elements and a lot of the weird, you know, first 25 minutes of that weird rave scene and sex scene kind of brings it down the tier. I think the philosophical concepts that they talk about, like with trust, uh, pre or choice, predestination and all that, um, it's interesting. Very interesting concepts. Not as interesting as the first one, but still unique and flavorful. I do think, though, you can feel in this film why the problem with the plot comes to fruition is, I believe, truly, I believe it's because of the success of the first film. Because the first film, they took several years, like half a decade, to write and decide on what they were doing. Whereas this, because it was the turnover was so quick and all the hype and all the money invested, I think that ended up being the crux of the film and why there's so many issues with it. And actually, maybe even why the CGI with the burly ball seems kind of not that great because they didn't have enough time because maybe they had to release it in a certain time to compete with the others. So because of all that, I would put this as just a would watch. How about you, Chris? Yeah, I think there is a lot to praise about this film. I mean, particularly the action scenes. Um, the CGI looks okay, but it doesn't look as good to other films that came out around this same time. And I think this is a recurring problem that we've seen on this show where we have, yeah, this looks good now, but then we see another movie that comes out around the same time. Like, well, why does this look so much better? So, I don't know. I think that the screenplay is way too heavy on the dialogue. And like you were saying, those existential, uh, excuse me, exposi exposition dumps. I think it relies way too much on those at certain points, particularly with the architect and the Merovingian. Way too many of these dumps going on. And, and it makes it hard to follow sometimes because we get so much thrown at us that it's hard to keep up with the nature of this world and how this all came to be. But that being said, I think this is a solid follow-up to what was otherwise a, fa a fantastic first film. Um, and this does set up for what we can expect to be a brutal final film. I mean, we're, we'll certainly get into The Matrix Revolutions, but I think the action scenes overall are what saves this film. But this is still only a would watch for me. I'm not going to put out any Matrix party favors or you know put on you know my pvc outfit i'm not doing that for this movie i'm just gonna watch it because it's on hbo max and that, yeah it's a wood watch for me jeremy how about you so i would probably definitely agree with you guys i said probably definitely does that make sense oh yes <laughs> um although that would differ from uh me actually owning the film um, I think I think I just bought it way back when, though, just because I had I, I owned the first Matrix and I just felt like I had to own the sequels. But I think after rewatching it today, I would probably give it a, a would watch. Um, I, I, I think that they were on the right track with this film. Um, you know, even the storyline was was not so bad. Uh, actually, I thought it was pretty good with where they were trying to go with it. Uh, I, I just think some of the decisions and some of the execution wasn't what I would pick, and I don't think audiences would have liked to have seen as well. I, I wish that there were just several different ways that they had gone with it. Um, 
the you know apart from the uh the cgi like like we said we got to kind of give them a little bit of slack on that uh and chris said you know the the fight scenes pretty decent i would actually go ahead and agree with that too um yeah so there is you know there's there's good and bad things about this film um so that's that's kind of why i'm i'm giving it a a wood watch the rare trifecta of agreement for this film all around that's crazy that's good though yeah i think it kind of we all hit that same point you know we all take away something different from this, but that's the idea with film and art. It's subjective. Everyone's supposed to take away something different from it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're here to dump on the film. We're also here to praise it at times. <laughs> oh, and we shall, because our next one up is uh, number three. The Matrix Revolutions. <laughs> the conclusion of the main trilogy of films. We'll explore some more of the themes there and discover why the film feels anticlimactic in a lot of respects. Uh, Sean and Jeremy, always a pleasure to talk to you guys. And if you all enjoyed today's episode, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. It really helps to drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show. We are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Forcefed Sci-Fi. You can check out and download episodes from Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you find podcasts. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Finally, you can check out our website, forcefedsci-fi.com, for show notes and links to all of the social media. And so for all of us at the Forcefed Sci-Fi team, we will see you next time.